Um, This is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome to another Medically Speaking. And again, we are in Heart Month. So we've been going uh, with our cardiology speakers and talking about all different aspects of heart disease and heart health. So we are continuing on that vein, as they say, with Heart Month and yesterday being Valentine's Day. Very appropriate. So tonight I have with me Dr. Kevin Kett. Hi, Doc. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming. Trying to get you guys away from your schedules is definitely not easy, but I pulled you out of something that you didn't want to go to tonight anyway. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. You're welcome. So Dr. Kett has been a cardiologist here in the Greater Wadbury area for over 26, 27 years, I would say, right? Every bit of that. Yeah. Every bit of that. Every bit of that. And has recently joined the Franklin Medical Group and is part of our cardiology team over on West Main Street. And we are so honored that you became part of us. You've, you've always been part of the St. Mary's family, but... In reality, I, I probably spent 70 to 90% of my time at St. Mary's anyway. So yeah. really moving to St. Mary's full-time was really kind of a natural, small, smaller step than most people think. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, it's kind of like the way I'm looking at you joining our team, it's kind of like when you get one of those really star players on a basketball team or a baseball team and you really make that trade and you get that star player and... You're like our ace in the hole. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, if Dr. Kelly's listening, he's going to challenge us on that one. (laughs) The first thing I have to look is make sure he's not too old to continue to play. (laughs) You're not too old to continue to play. You're definitely one where you can have an extended contract. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So, and yet if you're old to play, then I'm, if you're too old, then I'm too old to play. There you go. We'll drive off into the sunset. We'll drive off into the sunset together like Thelma and Louise. (laughs) So I, again, uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Kett has been with us for the last couple of years as a Franklin provider, and he is, you know, I, I'll go through his bio just because Dr. Kelly likes me to do that because he thinks, and he does, he knows all of our cardiologists have an incredible resume, and it's something that we don't always share, so we'd like to do that. So you um, completed your medical degree at Sunny Stony Brook, and you went on to do your internship, residency, fellowship in cardiology, and a fellowship in angioplasty at New England Deaconess Hospital in Boston, right? That's right. During that time, you received the James L. Tullis Award at the Deaconess Hospital as a resident. That's a long time ago. That was a long time ago. And also as an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. And that's incredibly impressive. Mm, not really. Not really. So as a cardiologist, where do your specialties lie? Well, um, as you said, I did my training in interventional cardiology mm-hmm. and angioplasty and um, did that for 23 years after I, I uh, uh learned uh, it. And the past seven years, however, um, I've morphed my career uh, quite a bit and have gotten mostly out of the angioplasty interventional arena and now deal mostly in arrhythmias, uh, what we call a device specialty. uh, And I'm now certified uh, at implanting defibrillators, uh, special biventricular pacemakers, Mm -hmm. and, of course, regular pacemakers. And that's what I wanted to talk about tonight. So, you know, the the bulk of our month, we've really focused on, um, Dr. Kelly focused on looking at your numbers, and we focused 
focused on blood pressure and cholesterol and, and your blood sugar and your weight, really focusing on weight and knowing your numbers and getting people that preventative medicine. And um, we had Dr. Nanarajan, and he spoke, too, about prevention and then what, what chest pain is and heart attacks. But I'd really like to focus on some of those areas in cardiology, and that's why tonight I'd love to talk about the arrhythmias and the devices and then move on to your past a little bit, but still, you know, one of your babies, angioplasty, and what we do here. Sure. So I think that'll definitely fill up our hour. But before we do that, we received a, an accreditation, a really, really significant accreditation, which your team was part of. So I definitely want to highlight it. And Jennifer Clement, who is our communication specialist at St. Mary's, writes an in- incredible newsletter for our hospital that goes out to all of our physicians and our hospital internally. It's called The Compass, and she's a beautiful writer. So I'm going to steal your words, Jen, because you did a really great job. So St. Mary's Hospital has achieved full accreditation from the American College of Cardiology as a chest pain center with primary PCI and resuscitation. While there are hospitals in Connecticut um, that are chest pain centers, St. Mary's is is one of only two hospitals in Connecticut to achieve that particular recognition. I think that's incredible. Um, St. Mary's um, evidence-based, protocol-driven, and systemic approach to patient cares allows our clinicians to reduce the time to treatment during the critical early stages of a heart attack. Accredited facilities like ours are better at monitoring patients when it is not initially clear whether or not a patient is having a coronary event. Such monitoring ensures that patients are not sent home too early or needlessly admitted. And these, this is an incredible feat, you know, and to achieve this level of care right here in this area, just that feather in our cap. And I just want to make sure we recognize it. It really is. And it's, and, uh, it's no small amount of work. You mm. can't just walk into this and apply for it. it. It really requires a tremendous administrative and medical effort to, uh, to collect our resources um, to get through this accreditation process. Definitely. And, and the accreditation of the pain center um, demonstrates expertise in certain areas. So I really want to highlight that. Um, it demonstrates... Uh, Um, expertise in integrating the ER or the emergency room with local EMS providers, assessing and diagnosing and treating patients quickly, effectively treating patients at low risk for acute coronary syndrome, and no, no assignable cause for their symptoms. They continually look to and seek to improve process and procedures and supporting community outreach programs that educate the public to promptly seek medical care if they display any symptoms or possibility of a heart attack, which is what we try to do in programs like this, you know, which is part of our community education, you know, is doing programs like this and continuing to do programs like this that help people understand what we do and what we have. So I'm pretty proud of that. And I wanted to make sure that we highlighted that because being one of only two hospitals in Connecticut, I think that's pretty significant. Yep. And again, as you said, this is uh, an accreditation process that um, is the American College of Cardiology. So it's really the uh, cardiology governance for the United States. Which you are president. Um, I'm I'm president of the Connecticut chapter, chapter, uh, governor of Connecticut. Um, 
and will be for the next two years. Which is an impressive title. Um, Thank you. I'm so, I'm so, pro- that's prob- an incredible. Probably again, less than you'd imagine. <laughs> but uh, again, the, the, the American College itself is a most impressive organization based in Washington, D.C. And uh, again, as they have this uh, accreditation process, and as we, and, and really not so much me as much as uh, so many other people in the hospital who did it, had to go through tremendous process and, and procedure a, to learn what needed to be mm-hmm. done, and to organize it so that we would have a strategy when someone hits the door. Right. Uh, w- one, of the, one of the things that we've been doing for the longest time, and it was one of the very first articulations from the American College of Cardiology, was the door-to-balloon time. And right. they wanted to make sure that we had an efficient way to uh, see someone in the emergency room, find out exactly what's going on in a very timely fashion because the length of time someone's having a heart attack will determine how much damage there is so that we really uh, strive to get the shortest amount of time from someone walking in the door, what we call door, to the actual time that someone's getting their angioplasty. And and keeping that an, under an hour shows a, a tremendous dedication to the process and to doing it right. And I should say that, again, that's one of the great things that um, there is to having these processes. And someone may say, well, you know, is this like a cookbook? But it's really not. It's mm-hmm. really a playbook. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so that when someone walks in the door, we have our playbook. We know exactly what resources we're going to call to, to the table immediately. We know exactly how we're going to triage people. We know exactly what people we're going to call in and, and get the job done immediately. And the chest pain syndrome, chest pain center actually looks at all of our processes, Mm -hmm. not just taking someone um, to the cath lab, but making sure that every other process is done by the same playbook. There aren't, uh, you know, there are individuals who actually carry out the plays, uh, just like any good team, but it's all coming out of one playbook, and it's all being done the same way, the right way, time in and time again, and that's what we're... And I would be remiss if I didn't say, too, that it can't be possible with just hospital employees. We're just a piece of it. But the Franklin Medical Group plays a significant role. Your cardiology team plays a significant role in achieving that for us, and that's a partnership. You know, Franklin Medical Group is part of St. Mary's Hospital, but the group itself and and all of our cardiologists played a huge role, and your staff and team. Yes. Uh, You know, again, the team is is the answer. Uh, There's no one individual that can do it. There's no one person because um, that person isn't going to be there all the time. Right. And uh, what this comes down to is 24-hour coverage, so that if you walk in on a Tuesday at three in the afternoon or a Sunday at three in the morning, uh, you're really going to get you're going to get uh, opened up to the same place. Absolutely, my mom was one of the ones that was a Saturday at, or Sunday at two in the morning huh. that was brought. My dad, of course, drove her. Back, you know, before my dad passed away, he uh, she had a heart attack right before his surgery, and sure enough, he, of course, which you should never do. He right, right. should never do. Didn't call me. Didn't call anyone and didn't want to make the ambulance noise on the street. Right. Now, part, <laughs> part, 
part of our job here is <laughs> is to help inform the public as to their job in getting to the hospital. But as 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 we see, as the as the uh, slogan "door to balloon," it's only when they hit the door. It's only that when they hit the door. Exactly That's right. right. Until but, then, it's a free for all. But like I said to my dad, I said, you know, and again, her care was impeccable because she had gone, you know, gotten to the ear, and every and the playbook was there. The mm-hmm. playbook was there. She got to the cath lab and was in a room by four. You know, it was incredible. You know, it was great? in the morning. Yeah, That's I mean, incredible care. But the the piece that I said to my dad that I try to educate others on now is when you do call the ambulance, they are linked to the hospital. So the care starts when that EMS person gets to your house immediately versus my father warming up the car and putting my mother in the car. Right. You know? and, and the process of, of getting information, getting vitals, right. getting cardiograms, getting IVs. Because you can so, see the cardiograms right there, right? You can right? see the cardiograms so that, so that decisions are actually made before the patient walks right. in Right, and the you door. can call and yep. get the cardiologist there and get the cath lab team going, it's yep. quicker. Yep. You know, it's definitely quicker. You think you're saving time than waiting for an ambulance, but it's quicker. No, it, it's, it, it does start in the driveway. The other piece to the accreditation that I, you know, I said at the end was the education piece, and I think that is where we as a community do a really good job. I yes. really believe that our community outreach and the programming that we do, both through our Spirit of Women, through um, any other program we're involved in, including radio, including and Jennifer sitting in her office doing tweets now with the show, tweeting, Facebook, getting as much information out to the public as we can. I think we do a really good job with that. Uh, you're exactly right. And, and that's one of the levels that they looked at, I'm sure. Yep. You know, because that's a piece that you had a, a level you needed to achieve. That, that, that's all part of it. Also, um, we can't overlook the education that we ourselves get mm-hmm. uh, because this is really a best practice situation. Uh, there may be uh, another hospital in Idaho or right. Illinois that um, has actually been working on this as well. So we share best practices, mm-hmm. and, and that's all part of this centralized accreditation process. It's so true. I love being part of a, a larger network, too, myself now, because I'm able to learn so much more from more community partners, you know, and and being part of a regional system. I'm actually part of a physician uh, relations group now. They just put me on that's national, so with Trinity. So it's kind of neat being able to find those best practices and being able to have this and share best practices. I think it's huge because we do learn from about. each other. That's Absolutely. So so to the topics at hand, ah. so you are my expert in arrhythmias, uh-huh. and you know, I'm sure our audience out there, and again, you can call in 203-757-1320. Don't be shy. You have a cardiologist right at hand, but um, what is an arrhythmia? Let's, let's say what's an arrhythmia first. Okay. So if, if you were to back off... Um, and, and appreciate that the heart is a muscle, and we were just talking about this muscle needing its own blood supply in order to remain healthy, the heart also needs an electrical system. Mm. And the electrical system to the heart is what uh, gives it a regular heartbeat. Um, there is a pacemaker within the heart that uh, functions in most of us for 100 years um, without, without making a sound. Mm. And... Um, beyond that pacemaker, there is a form of an electrical system that conducts the heartbeat from the top part of the heart to the bottom part. And anything that di- disrupts that smooth electrical flow that's rhythmic and that starts at the top of the heart and moves its way down, anything that 
impedes that uh, or breaks that rhythm conduction uh, we call an arrhythmia. So it's, a, it's an irregularity of basically the regular heartbeat. Are there more, more than not people that are predisposed for something with um, an arrhythmia? The, the, well, there are several kinds of arrhythmias, and some people are predisposed to one type or another. Okay. Um, there is a type of arrhythmia called atrial fibrillation, and I think I'm going to stay away from that for now because that we, could, we, could, we yeah. could talk about that for a week. Yeah, and, and if you know me and you know my husband, you know that's our sore spot. We, so we'll do another show on and that. And it's everyone's sore oh. spot. It's, it's the most common and yeah. becoming more common it for is. several reasons. Um, but uh, and it's And it's not totally intuitive that the real danger of atrial fibrillation is not so much the irregular heartbeat as much as the blood clots that can accumulate when when this atrial fibrillation is occurring so but that again that's for another discussion on the other hand um you opened it, up yourself to another show i opened you know myself that. to another show <laughs> uh, let's book it right now and we'll be good so um you know, probably the most common thing that we've been doing the longest is if the heartbeat is too slow. Right. Uh, or if the conduction doesn't reach the bottom of the heart, that's a fairly simple fix that we've had for well over 30 years, and that's called a pacemaker. And the uh, pacemaker technology is such that um, you can get a battery that will last for 10 years in something the size of your watch top and wow. you know uh, something a couple they were of, little boxes they were that you could see right on the surface of originally the yeah. they were roughly the size of a hockey puck yeah they and were big now they're about the size of a book of matches wow and um I haven't seen one in so long since yeah. I've been off the floors, but originally years and years back, I'm dating myself, but yeah. they were definitely much bigger. So, and if you and if you think about it, uh, think of the the uh, advances in computer technology over the past 20 years. Well, exactly, that's happened in pacemakers, so that the uh, computer processor in the pacemaker is the size of the fingernail on your pinky. Mm. And that does all of the processing of this and the rest of the rest of this uh, pacemaker is all battery. Mm. And we have been able to using other technologies such as uh, carbon and and high impedance leads, we're able to make the amount of electricity that goes through that wire 60 times a min minute so small that it really doesn't deplete the battery except wow. over a 10-year process. Wow. So um, things like slow heartbeats uh, have been essentially almost perfectly replaced by pacemakers in, who's, who's, in an almost outpatient procedure. Really outpatient? Well, we're, we're getting there. Um, right now, when someone has the procedure, they come in. And we watch them overnight, send them home first thing in the morning. Um, literally, after they uh, get their pacemaker, they can get up and walk around in an hour. Wow. I, I joke with them that if the hospital is short staff, they're the ones that have to deliver the meal trays to all the <laughs> sick patients. Um, they probably have the most energy at that point, they, right? You know, they, they're so relieved that it's all over. They yeah. say, yeah, I'll deliver I'll all the trays, anything. no problem. Everything as long is as you good. don't send me a pill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
th- that's interesting to me. So what what would be the symptoms of someone with you know what brings someone to you and and you get finally get down that path the, the, that it's it's a slower heartbeat. The the, the most common. Uh, uh, occurrence of a slow heartbeat is when it's intermittent. Hmm. So people will feel perfectly fine and then suddenly instantly feel as though the blood has been drained out of them, which literally it has. They they say, I'm sitting there at the kitchen table and the next thing I knew, I was I, I felt all gray and the next thing wow. I knew, I was laying on the floor looking up. And that's a fairly common type of blocked heartbeat that um, th- that occurs where the conduction system is kind of working intermittently. Wow. And in those cases, uh, a pacemaker, and they'll never have that symptom again. Something that's harder to, to, uh, to deal with is someone who has a chronically low heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a- as you can imagine... Sometimes we're just tired, and sometimes we can be uh, feeling poorly because we didn't sleep well or we've gotten ourselves out of shape or something like that. And then you notice that the heartbeat is also slow. And we we do resist um, the temptation to say, oh, with a faster heartbeat, you'll feel better. So just a plain slow heartbeat is not always an indication that someone needs a pacemaker but certainly the indication that some that someone has sudden occurrences of lightheaded or loss of consciousness that's a no-brainer for a pacemaker so do you find if someone has that sudden occurrence and then they rebound and then they feel good for a, a while it doesn't rebound does it rebound where it'll you know have a sudden occurrence but then then they feel fine. Yeah. And they can say, and and very often... Because um, that's so hard. You don't know. You just don't know when you should You don't should know. And right. of course, no one wants to have a pacemaker. Right. No one wants a procedure. So I'll often see someone in the office and they say, well, it happened on Tuesday. And then maybe it kind of happened again on Friday. But mm. I've felt perfect ever since. And um, and then we will often do uh, what's called a Holter monitor, uh, a 24-hour electrocardiogram. And if we see that they're having uh, intermittent pauses in their heartbeat, then it's just a no-brainer that they that once that's in, they'll never have another one of those episodes again. And then what do you do for that other patient, the other end of the spectrum, like you just said, the one that has the chronically... Well, with a chronically slow heartbeat, you want to make sure that it's not a medicine that's causing it. Some medicines will slow down the heart. Um, sometimes we'll do a monitor the 24-hour monitor and we can see that at various parts of the day the heart really slows down more than at other times and if someone says geez between four and five in the afternoon i was really wiped out and you look and the heart rate was even slower then you get a better uh, sense as to what's going on often we'll put someone on a, a stress test right and when they do the stress test um the purpose of that is to stress them yeah. and to see what happens when they start to walk on a treadmill and see that there's an appropriate s- speeding up of the heart. That's what we're really That's what looking you're looking for. for. Yeah. Oh, okay. We have a caller. Hi, this is Robin. Welcome to the show. Thank you for your call. Do you have a question? I do. It's relating to cholesterol levels, though. I don't know if doctor would be able to help 
answer that question. I, we can we'll give it. A, we'll we give it a stab. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, I, I appreciate it because it's confusing. Um, my total cholesterol level is high, um, like two eighteen, but uh-huh. my bad cholesterol is low, and my good cholesterol is one hundred and five, which is way over you know, the level it should be. Right. And my triglycerides are low. So do I need to be concerned because the total is high? Uh, you know, you probably don't need to be concerned. Um, the, the, the total cholesterol, as you suspect, has a lot less uh, importance than how this fractionates. So if your good cholesterol is over 100 and your bad cholesterol is actually low, I would say you really have no reason to want to change that. You wouldn't want to go on a medicine for anything like that. Just a, a question, though. Um, anyone in the family, in your family, with heart disease? Well, I know my father had some issues. I don't know specifics, though. It was a long, long time ago. Sure. And um, so I don't know the details of what his heart, heart issues were. And, and it's possible in those days he could have had very high blood pressure or diabetes or smoked, and, and we really well, weren't as educated at that time. Yeah, he did smoke, and he was overweight. Yeah, so he may have actually outstripped um, uh, doing bad things to himself, anything that, that having a good cholesterol could have, have helped. But uh, as a rule... Um, if, if your HDL is 105 and your LDL is low, I would say uh, do not worry about your cholesterol. Oh, great. Okay, well, I appreciate And that's the not on any medicines, correct? No, no. No cholesterol I, I'm medicines. Not, and I don't want to take any medicines. That's the thing. But, you know, they keep saying over 200, you should be concerned. Yeah. And, no, that, um, that, uh, that whole number of total cholesterol uh, is really not that important. Wonderful. Well, I, I really appreciate the clarification. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank my you pleasure. for calling. Okay, thanks for taking my question. You're welcome. Okay, we, bye-bye. What we may do is, is send a genetic uh, company to her house and find out what gene she has. <laughs> Absolutely. Because if we could put that in the drinking water, we'd be quite all right. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, there's so many of us out there. With, and, you know, that was the program we did the other day with Dr. Kelly is knowing your numbers and they think you know that's testament to her you really have to know your numbers and you have to ask the questions yep. there's so many of us say oh I feel fine I'm not going to do anything I'm not going to yeah. worry about it and until something happens and you didn't know your numbers you right. know and it's it's definitely a path we may not want to go down but we have to go down it's it's kind of like knowing your bank account right? yes you well, may try and ignore it that's right but eventually it will but catch up with you it's going to catch up with so you so you just want to know what's definitely the, what's the check and Definitely. Um, Before we take our break, I did want to talk a little bit about the other end of the spectrum. You know, we talked about the slower heartbeat, but I'd like to talk about the more rapid heartbeat, or we used to call it as a nurse, the patient's tachy, tachycardia. Yep. And that's a whole... a whole different bailiwick. Mm. And that's something that we've just gotten very good at treating over the past uh, probably 10 years or so. And that is with something similar to a pacemaker. In fact, there is a pacemaker inside it, but this is a defibrillator. And um, defibrillators are, are made, for the most part, to be 
almost an insurance policy. It's put in, not unlike a pacemaker, a lot more electronics, a lot more battery, because you need a lot more of a charge. But this is something that will monitor your heartbeat. And if your heartbeat should become irregular, like ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation, the kind of a heartbeat that can kill a person instantly, that it will deliver actually a very large charge, uh, not unlike what you see on TV shows with the paddles. These are two miniaturized paddles that are on your heart and will actually deliver this shock and... um, do you and feel in it? In many cases. Do you, you feel do. it when it's happening? You do. Um, actually, um, I would say that of patients that have this, um, half will feel it, but literally half will have already lost consciousness before it goes off because it takes about, um, f- it, it. you don't want it going off every time you have a, a very brief, fast heartbeat. Right. So... It will take its time to make sure that it's diagnosed the abnormal heartbeat. That will take about three to five seconds. It will then take some time to charge this capacitor. The batteries have to charge what's called a capacitor, which will then deliver this very large shock all at once. So so the total wow. time can be, you know, 11 12, 13 seconds. And a lot of people will lose consciousness during that episode and then literally wake up saying, geez, I wonder what happened. Friends and family who might be with him say, well, you passed out, you you jumped up for a second, and then you just kind of woke up and said, what's going on? And literally... Um, That's so scary. It is, it is scary. Oh. But um, I guess it becomes part of your norm, but... Oh. Right. It's you know it, it's it's funny that you, that you, that you say that it's scary because um, it's terrifying, but at the same time, these are the people that are the safest ones in the room because right. any of us can drop dead at any moment. Yeah. It's only someone with this piece of electronic inside them mm-hmm. that um, that's actually safer than the rest of us. Wow. Now um, that being said, we have time. We have time. When, with pacemakers, you pretty much have to demonstrate that you need, that you're having slow heartbeats or that you're having conduction problems. Then you get a pacemaker, then you're cured. Most people who get defibrillators don't first demonstrate that they're having irregular heartbeats. For sure, some people will have fast, irregular heartbeats, and they can't be fixed either from an ablation or a medicine. Okay. And in those cases, they get a defibrillator. But but the majority of defibrillators that go in, go in because the heart has lost its strength. There's an abnormality with the heart mm. that identifies a person as as being susceptible to sudden cardiac death. And even though they may not have even shown a single PVC, a single extra heartbeat, they qualify for this device because their heart is is not normal. Do you pick this up on EKG? Um, That's that's how it gets started. That's how it starts. Um, So if if someone is referred to me, for example, uh, that they may be having irregular heartbeats. Even with irregular heartbeats, if their heart is strong, they really won't get a defibrillator. 
But if they've had a heart attack, we'll do an echocardiogram, an ultrasound of the heart. Mm-hmm. The ultrasound will show what muscles are functioning, what muscles aren't functioning, what is the total ability of the heart to beat. And once it goes below a certain cutoff point, then they require a defibrillator. What are usually their symptoms that brings them to their doctor than to you? Um, it will be a congestive heart failure as a rule. It wow. will be a demonstration that their heart is not functioning well. So, again, most people who are referred for a defibrillator have already had a heart attack. Okay. So they've been identified that they've had some heart muscle damage. They will then have either a stress test with an imaging, meaning they'll have a nuclear image of their heart that will say exactly where the heart attack was and also whether or not there's another part of their heart that's at risk. And if we see that there's another part of the heart that's at risk, we'll fix that either with an angioplasty or with surgery, and then look again at the heart and say, oh, this is better. Now your heart is a little bit stronger. You'll be okay. If, on the other hand, there's nothing that can be fixed uh, or fixing it doesn't make the heart stronger and the ejection fraction, which is a measure of the heart's strength, doesn't improve, then they will get a defibrillator. And what's involved in that procedure? Defibrillator is very much like uh, putting in a pacemaker. And the only real difference is that the wires are thicker. Mm -hmm. So we just put in a slightly... uh, bigger hole in the vein, so right. to speak, okay. but technically it's it's put in in very much the same way, and the actual defibrillator itself is much larger. It's almost as large, um, actually it's, it's really not, it's not as large as an old pacemaker that we were talking about being yeah. the size of a, a hockey, hockey puck. puck. Yep. Um, I would say it's the size of a uh, a third of a hockey puck. Okay, uh, so it's not which that is, big. Which is uh, which is much bigger than a pacemaker, pacemaker but, but it's still not, still that, not big. that big. Most people, um, you might be able to uh, feel the a defibrillator I- under the skin uh, more easily, but in terms of our ultimate plan, and it's being done in many hospitals in the country that. Um, after a defibrillator is put in or after a pacemaker is put in, people will go home that afternoon. Wow. So it's really not a, it's a incredible. bigger procedure. It's incredible. And do you have to get them to a level of comfort so that they're not afraid of the device in them so they know it's going off? Because with a pacemaker, you're not noticing what's you happening. You will notice it. Right. But with a defibrillator, I would think that I would need my I, myself education on, okay, this is what's going to happen. This right. is what you're going to feel, but it, you've got a level of protection here. Yeah. The, it's kind of like having your own set of paddles in your it's like pocketbook. Your own of, right? <laughs> well, the, the beauty is, and, and there are people that say, you know, uh, that's okay, I'll have my own set of paddles and I'll always be ready. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. The beauty is that once this defibrillator is set, you pretty much do set it and ignore it. And most defibrillators don't ever go off. Wow. Right? They're really a very cool, highly technological insurance policy that you hope never to collect on. Yeah. And what happens is that we 
will check the battery on a regular basis. It will record every time there's a prolonged fast heartbeat uh, so that I'll see someone periodically in the office and transmissions come through the internet to Yeah, I know Dr. Kelly was telling me about that. You're able to to actually monitor if you're not feeling right, right? And uh, so that we can do that. And then as the battery starts to wear down, um, we then wait until the appropriate time and then... Uh, we'll just basically change out the battery, leaving the wires there. Oh, that's really good. Right. So how long does the battery last in those? Is it shorter time than a pacemaker? It's shorter than a pacemaker. Um, about eight eight years that's for a defibrillator, whereas with a pacemaker, like I say, they're, most of them are guaranteed for 10. Yeah. And they'll often work for for 12 and 13. So, and just the level of education for, for our patients out there, for the community, because I I know this is so important, working in my past life of imaging. Please know what's been put in your body. Yes. So that if you carry need... Carry the card. Yes, carry the card. You're issued a card, correct? Yep. Yep. So that they know what material the device is made out of. So if you do need imaging such as an MRI, they know what you have in you. Right. I, I can't stress that enough. Because yep. there's so many individuals like, oh, might have lost the card and then the doctor's not in practice anymore. They have no idea what's in them. Yep. So are the devices today made in such a way that they're compatible with other imaging or is there still metal the, the, to, to worry about movement? The, the newer the newer pacemakers and defibrillators actually are MRI safe. Okay. So you can have an MRI. Right. The older ones with more metal and unfortunately, the older ones where the uh, the older leads are in mm-hmm. are very difficult to uh, remove. Right, so you don't want to change them. So you don't you, you don't change those out, and they're not MRI compatible. Okay, but pretty much anything going in from 2017 on. 2016 on mm-hmm. is going to be MRI, MRI compatible. compatible. So that's just my little level of education to the public. Yep. So if you do have a device and you find the card. And, and, <laughs> well, and actually, and um, I, I tell all my patients to try and memorize the company mm. that ha- had the, that made the device. Right. Because uh, invariably, if, if you, you know, if you separate your shoulder while you're playing volleyball, You'll probably forget your wallet on your way to the emergency right, absolutely, room. Absolutely, right. And that's where your card is. That's where so, your card is, right? So, so put it in your phone. Put the name you in your phone. In your Take phone. a picture of it. Or, or <laughs> just memorize that. Oh, I have a right. Medtronic device, mm-hmm. or I have a Guidant device, or mine is made by St. Jude right. or Biotronic. So that's the kind of thing. If you um, if you have at least that part memorized, right. we can always. Uh, come to the emergency room with a programmer that identifies the device right. and, and how that's it's and so how that's important. Yep. So important. Okay, we just going to take a quick break because we we have about 15, 12, 15 minutes left. And, and that's wanna... everything I know. So and that's everything you know. Fine. That'll work out good. We'll be right back. <laughs>
everyone. Hi, Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital on our Medically Speaking program. And we're continuing the month, Heart Month. And Johnny picked an appropriate song to take our break with, Heart of Gold. So thank you, Johnny. He was trying to find something with a heart in it. So I appreciate that. I love that song, too. So that's good. So you did me well. So we're continuing again on our topic of cardiac and cardiac services and all the different things that we do at St. Mary's Hospital. And again, um, with us tonight is Dr. Kevin Kett, who is is one of our incredible cardiologists at St. Mary's Hospital and part of the Franklin Medical Group now and has his specialty in arrhythmias and devices. And we talked a lot about um, devices before we went to the break, which you educated me incredibly. I can't believe the defibrillator to me is just awesome. It is. It is. It's really neat. Miracle. It really really is. is I mean, it's just something we couldn't do before. And we're doing this right at St. Mary's, which we we, our cath lab is rocking it. Absolutely state of the art uh, with a full EP lab. That's so you know, great. I, and I and I'll just tell you this one thing. When I was uh, uh, in training in Boston, um, is when defibrillators first came out, and at the time they were somewhat experimental. They had to go into the belly. They went into the abdomen because they were so big. They were probably half the size of a cigar box, and the incredible thing is mm. that they were almost single-handedly developed by a man um, after his best friend dropped dead in front of him. Oh, my gosh. And he decided that he was going to make this uh, the remainder of his life's mission, mm. a guy named Murawski who who then worked tirelessly to um, to to create this device that would monitor a heart rhythm and then give a shock. Wow. Uh, something what that, a way to, yeah, to have his friend actually live on. Yeah. You know, what a beautiful thing to do. Yeah, it's incredible really to cool. have that brilliancy, too, to be yeah, able to do um, it. Yeah, and, and, and the drive to do something wow. like that. Wow, that's Very really cool. neat. That's Very really cool. cool. So bef- when we went to the break, you and I talked a bit, and there's so much new technology out there in regards to what we have um, in these defibrillators and, and the pacemakers. Let's talk a little bit about that technology because I think get a little techy here. I think yeah. it might be neat. And it, it is interesting that um, if you think about it, twenty years ago there were computers and there were pacemakers and there were defibrillators, um, but they didn't talk well to each other and they didn't mm-hmm. talk to a home base. And and the the real technology over the past ten years hasn't been medical as much as it's been the communication of the Internet. Wow. So that um, what we have now is defibrillators and pacemakers. And then one other thing that I'm going to tell you about that talk, for lack of a better word, talk to a small device that sits on your night table 
and talks via Bluetooth, not on the way, not unlike the way um, your phone can talk to your thermostat. Now your defibrillator or pacemaker talks to a device on your night table without you having to do anything. Wow. And then during the night, that little device will send an email functionally to my office to say what the day was like, you know, wow. and nothing so, happened. So does your team follow all of these? Yes. Uh, so, so these that's, a, come, that's a big task. It's a big task, but the the wow. the the people and the person who does this specifically is um, supremely talented and organized. Wow. And turns on the computer, and up comes a list of all the defibrillators and uh, all the devices, and uh, and obviously uh, the companies make it. They make it make sense. They they are able. They make it so that you can take the signal out of the noise. And by that I mean is there'll be a a list of of, of devices that checked in and said everything is fine. And then the one or two where an event occurred, they'll be in a different color. They'll be singled out. Right. So you can just go wow. right to that one. You can find out what the rhythm was and you can find out what happened. Wow. So that happens automatically. Whereas in the past, someone would have to hook themselves up to a monitor wow. or they'd have to make a phone call. Now it's done automatically, uh, automatically without even knowing about it. So are these checked every single day? So these, uh, depending on the device, most of them uh, do check every single day. Depends on how you program them. Right. Uh, they can be programmed so that once a week they'll download their information. Okay. Uh, every three months they'll download their information, but they'll constantly be uh, monitoring. monitoring. Now, there is a new device that's kind of sprung out of all of this technology, and it's using the same pacemaker technology, but it's not a pacemaker. It's just a monitor. So it doesn't have the ability to pace a heart or defibrillate a heart, but it does have the ability to monitor a heartbeat. And it's roughly the size of a paperclip. It's, it's, um, it's, it's probably the, the uh, size of a paperclip, maybe twice as thick as a paperclip. Wow. And that's injected literally injected under the skin through a through a cut that's about a quarter of an inch long it's injected under the skin and it will monitor the heartbeat and those devices specifically uh, exploit this technology and what they do is they speak to the device that sits on your night table and every single night it will download the information from the heart rhythm of that person so who would get one of who those? Who would get that? It's it's uh, there. There are really two people um, who get them. People who have fainting spells, and we don't know why they're fainting. Uh-huh. And and if they're fainting with a fast heartbeat, or if they're fainting because they have a blood pressure issue, or they're fainting because they have seizures, or something that's got nothing to do with the heart stopping, you don't want to put a pacemaker in them. Right. That would be totally inappropriate right. and a waste. So sometimes. You need to prove what's going on, so you put this in, and and you can see whether when they're having their fainting spells, the heart is slowing down. Wow. 
Wow. Additionally, so so someone can activate it. They can say, you know, I just had a lightheaded spell or a fainting spell. You can tell this device to make a recording or to remember that past five minutes, and that gets sent into the office. But additionally, it will automatically record any time the heart rate slows down or speeds up. And then you're able to better treat the patient once you have this because it's kind of like a diagnostic tool for you. Exactly. Wow. So it's so it. And then do you take it out after you figure out what's wrong, or you know, as as a rule, um, uh, being lazy, I tend to leave them in. <laughs> and they're very small, and they're sometimes hard to find. Wow. I mean, they're small enough yeah. that they're literally hard to find. Wow. So if That's someone- kind of like the clip that we used to put in, in in imaging, where they still put in an imaging in the breast um, to identify an area that they've done a biopsy on, but then they may not need to go back in and then to you that just area. Leave it there. And you, yeah, you leave just it there. Just leave it there. And, yeah. and, um, and it goes... It goes uh, forever. forever. Now, wow. the battery on these last about three years. And I have had people say, listen, it's been three years. Um, I, I really don't. I don't want it in me, and it's a it's a five minute procedure to to, to pluck it out, uh, and we can find it really with an X ray. It's not that oh, that's hard, good. but right. but it's but it's is it not, metal? It's a piece of metal. Metal a piece of metal. Um, wow. There is another interesting thing, and the technology is exploding. And we talked about this, but we're going to save ourselves another hour to talk about atrial fibrillation. Yeah, we're going to yes, because that's that's, that's what you're coming one, back, right? Yeah. No. These devices are awesome for finding atrial fibrillation. In fact, as 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 we touched on, uh, sometimes the only the only problem of atrial fibrillation is that people have small strokes from the blood clots that occur, Mm -hmm. and then when they go to the emergency room, they're back in the regular rhythm. So we really don't know why this is occurring, and when we do know why it's occurring, we don't know whether to put someone on a blood thinner forever or try and put them on a blood thinner uh, right when they need it, right, right when they're in atrial fibrillation. Right. And a right. lot of these blood thinners, they start immediately. Right. So... Have we changed our protocol for that over the last 10 years? We have not yet. Yeah. But we're right on... We're right at the dawn That's of changing good. this because now we have the ability to say, uh, well, you went into atrial fibrillation at 2.14 this afternoon um, and I just got this recording an hour yeah. later. You should go. You should go on this medicine and protect yourself by. Uh, you, sh- you should protect yourself by by going on a blood That's thinner. That's awesome. So we will be able to uh, watch just that closely, and it really does give us the 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 diagnosis of atrial fibrillation. And we might say at that point, yeah, you really need to go on a blood thinner. Wow. Well, believe it or not, we're at the end. We have two minutes. <laughs> two minutes to wrap. So. I can't thank you enough because I'm sure everyone that listened tonight was in educated as well as me, even being we a had nurse fun. for all these I years. Had a we had great I'm time. so this glad. Great fun. And we are definitely going to bring you back for AFib because to me that is definitely near and dear to my heart as everybody out in the community knows. It's really and become it's just, common. It's definitely become common. And, and, you know, I always feel as though if I can educate one more person and prevent what happened to my husband and I personally, that would just be amazing. Yeah. So I think it's really an important topic and we're going to definitely bring you back. Right. And to get back to it uh, again um, all of that um, and really uh, the equipment that St. Mary's has invested in to 
implant these devices, including the fancier biventricular defibrillators and all that, has been second to none and probably the best thing that St. Mary's could have done for our cardiac community. I'm so happy. I'm really so proud awesome. to be part of the team. And I thank you so much to uh, be part of our and team. And thank you. So thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. This is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. If you'd like to learn more about our cardiac program at St. Mary's or Dr. Kevin Kett, please be, visit our website, stmh.org, and click on Franklin Medical Group and Specialty Care, and you will see all the services. So again, thank you so much for joining me. I will be back in two weeks. Robin Sills, St. Mary's Hospital, exceptional care, every patient, every day. Have a great week. Music.